Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Happy 2023 and welcome back to Namaste Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy and well-being collide, the podcast where the life-changing stuff happens. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called He's Electric, and today's theme is cars. I should say, by the way, I'm recording this in a laundry cupboard in Amsterdam, long story, so if the sound quality isn't quite what it normally is, then uh, there you go, and you might be able to hear the dog pattering around outside. If the sound's better than it normally is, then I'm moving to this cupboard. Um, And did you enjoy the New Year's Life Advice episode last week? So if you haven't heard it yet, what are you doing? Get on it. Get into it. It is the perfect antidote to New Year's resolutions and it will perk you right up during these dark, depressing January days. But back to today's theme, cars. A study at the University of Vienna showed that not only do you look like your dog, you also look like your car. That means I look like a powder blue, wire-haired Dachshund Mini Cooper called Jeff. That sounds quite good. And talking of dogs, during the Cold War, one of the CIA's wig makers made a dog-shaped wig so they could hide people under it when smuggling them in the back of a car. The sound of a car door closing has been engineered using psychoacoustics to appear much more robust than it actually is. And talking of car manufacturing, the smallest mass-produced car ever made was the Peel P50, which was advertised as being able to carry one adult and a shopping bag. Much like a bicycle, really. It couldn't reverse, but that didn't matter because there was a handle on the back. So you got out of your car, you picked it up by the handle and you turned it around. What could possibly go wrong? And tormentoni, tormentoni is an Italian word for a summer hit song that is always playing on your car radio. Tormentoni, like an earworm with an Italian twist. Give me one minute if you guys no worries, can hear me, okay? No worries, mate. No worries. I'm just checking the Hold on. That's today's guest, Ori Styler. Ori is a big fan of the electric car. In fact, he's an evangelical Tesla owner. I'm thinking that I might get an electric car whenever I trade my Mini Cooper in. So um, if you're interested, like me, and the pros and cons of such a decision, there's some good chat about that in this episode. Next stop, Top Gear. Electric cars have actually been around for quite a while. Robert Anderson developed the very first electric car, which was described as a crude electric vehicle in 1832. And then by the 1870s, electric cars had apparently become practical. But replacing all the UK's car and van engines with electric batteries would require twice the current worldwide annual production of cobalt. There are only two US car companies that haven't gone bankrupt, and those are Tesla and Ford, although Musk's giving it a whirl, isn't he? 
and in 1997, the year my first child was born, astronaut John Grunsfeld called a car maintenance talk radio show from the Mare Space Station to complain about problems he was having with the engine. So this is, oh, hold on, oh, that's not going to Where is this? Again. This is where you live? This is, yeah, my garage. Ori Styler is a comedian, actor and presenter. He started stand-up in 2010 and his TV credits include Jonathan Ross's Comedy Club and Don't Take the Players, both on ITV, and Mo Gilligan's Black, British and Funny documentary on Channel 4. In 2016, Ori self-produced and toured his first live stand-up comedy special, Working Hardly, and in 2017, his second, Straight Up. His third show was called Just Like That, and he debuted in Edinburgh last summer with his latest show, Green. He's the host of The Scene on BBC Radio London and has two monthly residencies at Vauxhall Comedy Club and Box Park in London. Ori and I talked about city versus country life, electric cars, more about electric cars, politics, power, privilege, money, stereotypes and vulnerability. He's also the first ever Namaste Motherfuckers guest to ask me about bringing South Park and SpongeBob SquarePants to the world. So if you're interested in my story about how that happened, we do get into that towards the end of the episode. But let's start with the start of the episode, as is more customary. I started by asking Ori why he called his most recent show Green. See, that's the green that people initially thought I was talking about was the yeah. that's behind me. Yeah. I don't I, I don't smoke weed, never smoked weed in my life. So it's nothing to do with All that right. kind of green. Don't get defensive. I'm, I, I, the amount of people in Edinburgh that came up to me and was like, what's the show is about? And then they would look at me, look me up and down and go, is it about? I would say like, that nah. a stereotype. If I had a show called Green, or would they ask me that question? I'm no, they wouldn't. Yeah. They probably wouldn't. They think it's you being eco-friendly or that you're vegan exactly. or something. That's what they would do. Bad assumptions. <laughs> so... But green was, um, I mean, green was about, again, being, again, try to be more eco-friendly because I drive, I drive an electric car. Um, and it's also me moving out of London to an area which is more green. Um, also, I'm quite money savvy in terms of um, how to, how to spend and how to save in a way that, especially during the time that we've been through, is a lot more helpful in, uh, in terms of either long-term building up uh, a bit of stability when it comes to your finances or recovering from when you've had heavy hits on your finances. I quite, I pride myself in at least doing the most I can to do that as well as advising friends of mine who, who are looking to do the same thing as well. Um, what so else how do there? you know how to do that? Cause that is going in the face of all that comedians are known and loved for which is our <laughs> lives being a shit show. So how do you, you're in, you're in the rare minority or how do you know how to do that stuff? My, so my mum was, uh, she used to run um, a business that taught people how to, firstly, if they didn't have like the basic fun, fun foundations of education, she'd been a, she'd run an organization that would help people get their basic levels of education if they missed out on that because of, could be family issues, could be gone to jail, whatever it is. Then um, for those who are looking for work and to increase some of their skills, whether it become, whether it be skills in computing, whether it be skills like life skills or just whatever it was to help them maybe be more viable to get work. They'd also run courses that are like that. And also ever since I've known my mom from young, she's always been property savvy. So she 
um, does a lot of property work just as a as a side thing now while she's in her not I wouldn't say later years of life, but while she doesn't run the careful, business. how much older than me is your mum, Ori? She's old old enough to be your mum, so that's fine. Okay. There okay. you go. She sounds just, insp- she sounds inspirational just. though, your mum. She yeah, she is. She's done a lot when it comes to um putting herself forward as a person who is uh, business savvy. And yeah, for sure. So I was a bit of a, a bit of a disappointment when I said I wanted to do comedy, but I made a promise that I would do comedy from both sides where I put on my own shows, where I understand the business from behind the, so behind the stage rather than just in front of the stage and on the microphone. And that bleeds into when you try to better yourself with investments that you want to do with um, not, when I say investments, I don't mean like stocks or even houses. I'm just talking investing in yourself as a career, which I've taken hits for and I've also won on. But having to learn those lessons of trying to invest in yourself and then losing and then going, well, I have to find a way to recover whilst also still moving forward and not haltering and having to recover and stay stagnant. Uh, it takes some life lessons that you have to adjust. Like me driving the electric car is. What if you, go, go, if you wow. got the Tesla? What if you got. I have a Tesla. Yeah. People hear that and go, that's super fancy. It might be in terms of what people see a Tesla to be. However, it's cheaper for me to have my Tesla and run that than it is for me to have the car that I had before, which is a VW Passat and run that. It's knowing the, it's knowing where you might be able to do something which is much better for you and much more conducive for you financially. And also when it comes to logistics, me driving around all the time and then having to charge at a fast charger station, it's better when I have a Tesla to do that because they got the supercharger points, but it's also cheaper rather than paying however much money on fuel there is, and also understanding that you don't have to buy a car outright, you can lease it, because you can, especially with the amount that we use our cars if we're driving up and down the country, it's those little things that you hear and you kind of ignore because all you focus on is, oh, it's a Tesla, where actually it's cheaper for me to have that than a VW Passat. I bet you've and never been so smug as when the fuel crisis hit. You were like, yeah, I had, I put, suckers. I put a picture up of... um. I don't know if you've seen that little meme of when it's Leonardo DiCaprio in Django and he's doing that real smirk on his face with the with the glass yeah, of yeah, wine. I the one. Yeah. But I put my face on it instead. <laughs> and it said, um, I put my face on top of it and it said um electric car owners right now. And then it just was oh the amount of hatred that I that I got from that. From I people saying that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well also a lot of comedians. I mean, it's all very I totally hear you in terms of the economics of one car versus another, yeah. but there's a lot of people in our game where like getting the bus or the tube is already an outlay, you know, like never of mind course. putting it. And do you um because I'm slightly fascinated, but I, I have an old Mini Cooper, which I'm sure yeah. your mum, if she was looking at us as each as a business case, she'd be like, Callie, you're screwed, Ori, well done. So <laughs> I am aware that an old Mini Cooper that I own outright is the opposite yeah. of business savvy. I just love of it so i'm making a business decision using my heart which is never good but when you mm-hmm. i'm looking at the te- the old tesla thing so if the so um you can you can buy it obviously on hp so you're not actually having to buy it outright yeah so buying it on installments but i do really long drive so like i drive to cornwall a lot i drive to amsterdam yeah. a lot yeah. I, aren't i just gonna be pulling over every five seconds to charge it i so I I drove to Scotland. I drove back from Scotland after we went to the festival, and I've done that several times. Perfect example of how it works is when you drive. I've mine does two hundred and fifty miles on the full battery. When I drive, I get to I get to services after maybe about two hours. I want to get a drink. I want to get a. I want to go use the toilet. Whatever it is, I need to do, or even just stop driving to have a bit of a rest. Every time I do that, I drive and I just plug it in. 
when I, if I, I can be 20 minutes to get a drink, use a toilet, come back to the car, 20 minutes will add on a, on the superchargers, 50, 55, maybe even 60% of my battery back onto the, onto the car. So you can imagine that 50% is what, 125 miles back onto the battery. I'm going to do that again to get yeah, to the next yeah. services. Especially coming again. back from Edinburgh, you're going to be sitting on the toilet for longer than 20 minutes, probably it, with the oh, diet course, you had exact, up there. Exactly. So then you're getting full charge just for the toilet trip. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, so it's when amazing. You, it's, people misconceive it in terms of they think that, like a phone, you know when you leave a phone just standing and you might check it out every now and then, people think when they use their phone and they're texting or they're online, that's when it kills the battery more. But when you leave it stationary, it still drains battery. With cars, it does that, but still a lot slower. I mean, my car overnight, if I have, I if I don't put it on charge on, on the on the driveway, if I leave it there, I wake up the next day, maybe three miles has gone down, but then that's that's, that's three miles of it. That's yeah, it's it's, a, it's what maybe about eight, not three miles, sorry, three yeah, three miles, yeah, about yeah. that. So maybe one percent, just under one percent. So you still got two hundred and forty-seven. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're not driving, people always get this confused. If you're in traffic, this is another thing that people get confused. If you're sitting in traffic you're not killing loads of battery. It's stationary. It takes more battery when you're driving miles accurate, as opposed to when you're stationary, it's not just dropping slowly and slowly, which yeah, I think yeah. some people get confused. I think if you're sitting there in the car, you're using a heater and stuff, the battery's going to consistently drop like if you were driving. It's not that. It slows down. It doesn't drop as much because you're not using as much yeah, energy yeah, yeah. You've not got to the pull the car momentum. forward. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I get people all the time. You get some that are, are generally interested and you get others who are not interested, but they're just like, it's an agenda. They're making us go electric and we hate you. You're going to get struck by lightning like all cars aren't made of metal that is it's it's a weird thing that happens yeah there's some weird conspiracy theories out there and i think that we're all yeah we're not all yeah i I can't quite see where that fits into electric cars is it hybrid or pure electric pure electric pure electric Mm. well you're inspiring me although because i live on a london street this is going to be the most boring bit of a podcast ever we'll move on lovely listeners but um but the um i also worry because like if i get an electric point outside my house i live in a terraced housing street so I might not be able to park outside my house then I worry if everyone gets an electric car there's not gonna be enough charging points already the one at the end of my road's always full and never used to be there are more charging points in this country than there are petrol stations there's like 42,000 there's like eight and a half thousand petrol stations you're good are you on commission as Elon Musk I'm not on commission but these are the arguments I've had with people and the things that I had to research for myself remember I said I'm I'm someone who likes to look into things deeply yeah I can tell that now so when it comes to the charging issue in London you'll never have a problem like finding a charger they are absolutely everywhere and a lot of petrol stations now have them too there's like 42,000 charge points and like 8,000 petrol stations you're very convincing, try- I have to say. Are it's, you actually going to sell me a Tesla? Are you gonna, have you oh, got de- one? Nah, <laughs> def- I'm, not, I'm not on commission or nothing like that. And for me, <laughs> what it was, it's, I had to convince myself because there was a big part of me going, why am I going to make this big jump uh, and not really know why I'm doing it? And then I looked into it. I said, you know what? I can actually afford to make this jump because it's it does look like it's more viable. The fact that I'm up and down the motorway all the time as yeah, well, coming down to London. So much. It costs me so much money now, yeah. those out-of-town gigs. And, and no, no tax. Um, yeah. No road tax. They'll, they'll put in road tax at some point. I think it's like 2025. But for the two years I've had it so far, no road tax. Yeah. I was working at radio in 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 central London. No congestion charge. It, for me, it was like but they were paying you to have money. the Tesla. They were like, "Come on, Ari, we're going to make this." And do you think, like, when yeah. I when I'm trying to make life decisions, you know, when I was a, a younger woman, I used to think, "What would Madonna say?" You know, now they say, <laughs> like, "What would Beyonce say?" Are you like, "What would my mum say?" Is that what no, runs through your head? No. 
Oh, no, not even. If I'm honest, it's not even what my mum would say. For me, I've kind of, um, I've, it's 12 years I've been in comedy and then also 12 years I've been putting on comedy shows. You kind of find your own lane and go, well, I trust myself now. And if you don't, you have to look at maybe some of the people around you. And I pay attention to who else gets it right or who else seems to be okay with the way that they're doing things and go rather than following a big audience or a crowd of people that go, everybody should do this. I look at the individuals that don't scream that much and see how they move and go, well, they seem to be happy working, but not shouting super loud as to why you need to come over to the side that I'm on. And they seem to be happy. There must be something in their, their motives. Remember when crypto was a big boom? It still kind of is now. But everyone what do you was think about crypto? crypto? I'm sure you've got a view. Not in it. I'm, I'm not for it. I, I see cryptocurrency very similar to tulip fever. I'm just not the guy that looks into it and goes, yeah, I want to yeah. jump on. And the reason, my main reason for that was why is everybody started shouting too loud about it before everybody had an understanding as to how it even worked. So people were going, it's going to work. It's amazing. Look, you put your money here and you get money back. And it's also anti the establishment. So we have to do this because it will be great. Now, it could be the case, but I'm also seeing how it also could fail and falter. Whereas properties, for me, I've always looked at them and gone, no one screams super loud about how everybody has to get into property. You get some people that talk about it because they're passionate about it, but they don't scream about it. But there are people that have properties and they live a good life and they don't have to talk so loud about it, but they seem to be okay. So let me look at how they're living yeah. and see something must be right with what they're doing. I just turned 35 a few days ago. I'm in the middle of that where Happy I'm now. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. If I'd interviewed you when I was meant to, you'd have still been 34. That I'd have still been 34. Yeah. I think now because um, you get to a point where you look at some of the opportunities that are out there and you look at then also some of the things that lack when it comes to um, the opportunities that many people have. I'm part of a, I'm considered part of a minority, a minority ethnic group where I can see that like people around me and myself have had difficulties trying to just get a fair opportunity. But so have you at some point as a woman where maybe 20 years ago, I mean, how, I'm not going to go through numbers. I'm just going to say however long it was when you were working. My, your ass uh, my number is your age in reverse. All right, there you go. Oh, is it? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, all right. Look at that for symmetry. So let's, so let's say 30 years ago. Yeah. And I, I know one thing that you were doing that you're very famous for that I want to ask you about actually just a little <laughs> bit, but for other things that you were doing back then, you were still seen as somebody who was second class that because you would be in an office full of men that would look at you and go, that's just the woman in the office. And you still had to work your ass off to get to the position you're in now. So you can make decisions like, I love comedy. I want to give joy to everybody. And I've set myself up and made sure my kids were able to be raised in a way that they not necessarily wanted for much, but I've been able to look after them and also do my passion. You not talking about that. I get why for some, to some, it's like, you shouldn't say it to too many people or throw it to too many people because they may feel like you're talking down at them. But on the other side of it, it does have a testament in there of how much you had to work hard to get to where you are at now. It's definitely and you should be work. okay with that. Yeah, I think it's funny how some, like I said, I don't really talk about this kind of thing. Well, I certainly don't in the circuit also because it's a meritocracy, right? If you're backstage about yeah. to go on, all that matters is whether you're going to be funny. So you're not yeah. saying it doesn't matter what you're, whether you're single, what age you are, what your demographic is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a big believer in that, that it's kind of like it's status agnostic, really. Your only status is what you have on the stage. And mm. that should be that way. There's something about, I had, I had, um, Alec, Alex Robson is uh, was on, well, should have been on, by the time this goes out, she'll have been on the podcast. Okay. I interviewed for, her for it, and she's the founder of the King of Soho um, Premium Spirit branch. She oh, founded yeah, okay, it yeah. Yeah, together with Paul Raymond's son. Mm. And we were talking about being sort of women in business and the assumptions that are made about us, and she's probably a similar age to me. 
and it is definitely also that there was no there was no leg up or privilege that got me where I was and being yeah. a woman in male boardrooms was absolutely not an enjoyable experience and yeah, I yeah. didn't even dare articulate how unenjoyable it was to my friends mm. until it was in retrospect I didn't even articulate it to myself I just got on with it at great cost to my mental well-being and yeah. so I think um there is absolute I'm very privileged that what I did for a living happens to be something where you could be very well remunerated because there are loads of people who do incredible things where they never get well remunerated of and course, they're incredibly yeah. talented. So there's privilege in that I was lucky that that was the business I was in. But mm. in terms of day-to-day graft and relentlessness, I guess it's much like being a single mum in a, in a lot of other fields, you know, where you just yeah. work in 10, 12 hours trying to raise the kids. But do you, because you've got your head very kind of screwed on um, and – one of the things that I am going to say on the podcast, which I said to you backstage at a gig not long after I'd had the conversation. So the Laura Smith episode of this podcast yes. has had probably <laughs> as much love as any podcast we've done. We've had mega names on. Laura will become an absolute mega name, no question. Yes. But we've had so much response to it. And she tells a story on that. And for anyone who hasn't listened to Laura's episode, go back and listen to it, where she talks about you. And she's talking about well-being and looking after herself. And as everyone knows, she's been in chemotherapy. She's had breast cancer. She's still in the process of seeing what her prospects are. It's tough for her, even though she Mm. doesn't go on about it. And she had to cancel one of your gigs. And she said she was sitting at home feeling terrible and thinking I'll never work again. And then you got the whole of your venue to shout, (laughs) get well, Laura. And then yes. she heard about that and she, and it, I'm getting goosebumps saying it. And she said the diff, the fact that not only was she not judged and criticized by a promoter or be a friend, but you actually put out some amazing karma into the world. I just thought that was such a beautiful story. So I always wanted to get you on the podcast, but after that, I was like, you need to come on this podcast Ori. but yeah. that's an amazing story. So it was, um, it was at Box Park in, I believe it was the Wembley one. I uh, was doing a show called Whole Box of Laughs. And I, mean, I, I understand her position because even though I, I put on shows, I, I'm first and foremost a stand-up comic. So I understand how she feels rather than just being the comic who doesn't necessarily understand how a promoter feels when they have to, when they have to find somebody else last minute. She, I knew she wasn't 100% um, at the time. I knew what it was as well. We had a conversation, but I, it wasn't for everybody else to know what was going on. But I told the audience that one of the acts who was supposed to be here is feeling quite poorly. I didn't go into details as to what it was. I said, but she could just use your love. Uh, we recorded saying, um, get well soon, Laura. I was on the stage and I kind of turned the camera to everybody so they could all shout down to her, get well soon. Um, and just sent it to her. Because I know she was feeling quite guilty, like as you said, in her head it was, I'm going to be known as a person that's going to get like called someone who's untrustworthy when it comes to, or unreliable rather, when it comes to booking me and being on the lineup. She was worried about that being put to her. And I was kind of trying to wanted to let her know that ultimately your health has to be, has to come first, physically and mentally. You can't sit here and try to jump on stage and entertain others before you have yourself in balance where you're happy to go on stage and give your all to other people and I think just wanting to do that for her where I know there are times where any of us you me any comic would like for the audience to be able to say we love you before we tap dance for them or be good 
and get well soon before we give them a reason to go. We like you. Uh, I think it was important for me to kind of ask the audience to show love and send some good vibes to her because I've been there where the audience were the first people to complain where you've not been able to make it to a show because you had to go to a funeral and they're just like, why weren't you at this show? And you were advertised to be here. And rather than have any compassion, uh, they just kind of go greedy in that sense, which I can understand because they put their money in for a ticket. They want to come and see you. They might have got childcare, but before they know what you're going through, they're thinking about them. So I think Laura may have been in that position where she was worried about what anyone else would think. And I just wanted her to know that me, the rest of the team, my, my comedy mania team and the rest of the audience that were there watching would rather just send you love and say, look, whatever you're going through, get well soon. And uh, when you're up to, when you're up for it again and up to, up to getting on stage and, and you're in a great place, then stage is still here and welcome for you. Well, you definitely got, she got a lot of love in that podcast episode and you got a lot of love for having done that. And it's an unusual story. And the fact, you know, our business isn't always the most touchy-feely. I yeah. believe most people are kind, including in our business. That's my belief about humanity. But that was a beautiful story of a, a kind of, not a random act of kindness, a considered act of kindness. Namaste, motherfuckers. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. I want to ask you, I'm just about your promoting. Well, first question, why have you never put me, Ori? But, you know, we'll talk about that. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) I've had this, I've had, no, I'll answer that. I've had this from a lot of people. Uh, when I started putting on comedy shows. You were like, we've got too many ginger middle-aged women. Fucking hell, Callie. Doing the <laughs> I'm trying to give everybody <laughs> else opportunity or a chance. Exactly. No, I'll tell you what it was. Um, I think when I started doing comedy shows, it uh, was, was literally the, the about six, seven months after I started doing my own, I'm starting in comedy. And I realized it because I was getting frustrated with trying to, get some slots and some open mic spaces and people will be going, no. So I was just this guy that went, well, if you're not going to give me an opportunity, I'll hire the venue myself on a day that you're not doing. And I'll just try and bring people down that day. Love it. Initially it started as a channel for me to go, well, let me bring myself in a bit more and also have other people that I I know that would love to do comedy to come down. And then after that, um, I think I started to take my name away from Comedy Mania as a, because it used to be called Ori Stylers Comedy Mania. I took my name away from that. I made Comedy Mania just its own brand. And I used to book loads and loads of people to come down. But initially when I booked it, it was, it, if I'm honest, at the time, it was very kind of, I wouldn't say black centric, but it was the alternative acts, which mm-hmm. you could easily throw um, a lot of black or Asian acts into the mix. And that's where we would be seen because at the time we're talking 20, 2012, 2013 onwards, you wouldn't see us in mainstream rooms regularly. The same way that, I mean, you'll notice as well on those lineups that you'd see in like your, in your traditional mainstream comedy clubs, stores, or uh, I wouldn't even say top secret. I would say that's a lot more evolved, but some of the clubs that are very much, we have our acts who are been working here for like 20 odd years. It'd be the one alternative act would be like four regular acts in their eyes. And then one act who would be add a little bit of flavor to it would mm-hmm. be either someone who is, uh, a minority ethnic uh, 
someone who is um, a woman, mm-hmm. someone who's part of the LGBTQ plus community, that would, there would only be one slot that they would mm-hmm. fill. So my thing was to try and go the other way around and book everybody that I was always around where we were just doing like comedy shows in, like we do like comedy clubs, which were run by black promoters trying to promote black comedy. And I tried to do that lane. And then after a while I started to go, this is great, but everybody likes comedy. Uh, no matter where you're from, and um, if you're black, white, Asian, no matter where you're from, people want to enjoy just comedy in general because you had a lot of people that would come to the shows and they were not from the culture themselves and they would enjoy it. And you'd be like, well, actually, this for those who can't see that we're transferable anywhere. Like if me raising my children, if I, I don't have kids, but if I had children, me raising my children to another parent would be very similar things that we could talk about. My perspective might be, from culturally might be a, a bit different from someone else's, but how we feel and what we see are the same things. And I started to then spread out a bit more in terms of not just wanting to make a show, which was trying to give people that well, I was around all the time opportunities to work, but just trying to bring everybody to do comedy. And that that started to go towards 2015, 2016. But then at the time I was neglecting myself then, by putting on so many shows to help other people and myself come and host, but then not really focus on doing my own tours where I could do my own specials. Come 2016, I put on my first one, which was Working Hardly. 2017 was Just Like That. 2019, no, 2017 was Straight Up. 2019 was Just Like That. So these were all your solo shows pre-doing an Edinburgh solo show. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, these are all my solo shows before, even before going to Edinburgh. Because again, I was focusing so much on other people and not giving myself an opportunity to go, well, you've got all these tools. You've got this kind of pool that you can have. Why not just focus on building yourself up? Because I felt like I spent so much time building up comedy mania, sometimes losing money, making sure other acts would make, like they'd get paid and everyone would be sorted out. But then I would come home feeling like, well, what did this do for me? So I now I'm at a point where I do put on shows mainly for myself, like my own tours with my team and, um, just to kind of push the Ori style of brand. And anytime I do branch out of that as well, it's now le- so much less than what I did before that a lot of people are like, why haven't you booked me? What's going on? Because they still maybe see how many shows I used to do earlier on and go, well, Ori's doing all of those shows now when I'm actually not. And it's a matter of, well, if I do like three or four shows in a year and there's three acts in the lineup and I might be hosting, one act is maybe a new act um, as well that comes on and then you get two middles and then you get a headliner. It, how many people can I call to come in a year to do a show? It's, it's never a that great I, save, Ori, I have to say. Very eloquent. It's, it's, it's the truth, circle though. circle back beautifully. I, won't, I will not. The only, reason, the only reason I can say that with so much like eloquence and, and articulate myself is because it's, it's, it's true. And, and in terms of the economics, because you've got your merchandising, you've got your podcast, you've got mm. your own touring, you put on you put on shows, but you produce your own shows. Mm. So is that when you're talking about, you know, because this podcast is about the balance of kind of like business and work and comedy and well-being. So it's all the things that are really in the heartland of, of you yeah. as well. So where, where, in terms of that balance, do you find that making the right financial decisions is a is an essential kind of basis for you to feel free enough to do the other stuff like how important is that as a fact I'm not saying that you value that more than anything else but how much does that give you the freedom to do what you want to do I think with anything that people experience um money is 
it should not be the thing you focus on the most, but it is one of the most disruptive disruptive forces in anything that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So if you look at biggest um, the biggest breakdown of relationships um, is not infidelity, it's financial issues of like marriages is always finite. It's money before it is even like infidelity. Um, statistically speaking, you're looking at when you have when you haven't got your yourself in check. It's hard for you to save if you've got to deal with debts. Like if you haven't cleared off issues that are, that may be pulling you down, no matter how much time you want to have a break or you want to stop, in the back of your mind is that red letter's coming or I need to make sure I pay this off. So even, I'll be honest now, I ran a, I ran a weekender in 2018. Um, it was like a comedy, comedy mania weekender where it wasn't all comedy based, but we had like two comedy shows on it, but there'll be pool parties, there'll be like clubbing and kind of like the stuff you see. That's the MTV lives. back in the day. A, a little bit, but definitely not as highbrow. We're talking uh, pontins. Uh-huh. So a hiring pontins up. pool party. That's more my kind of, I've got the body for a pontins pool party. I'm not so, doing MTV <laughs> spring break anytime soon. <laughs> it, well, we use pontins. So, I mean, if I've, I i don't think I'd met you at the time, but if I'd known, I'd just said, come down and be be a celebrity lifeguard. Oh, I would have been bang up for that. Perfect booking. So I did it uh, the first year. It was all off of me and my team's back, but because I'm the head of my team, it's it's it all falls on me. I lost about ten or eleven grand trying to do that event, but I was okay with that at the beginning because I was like, it's a lost leader. Any business knows that when you put on like a large scale event like that, at the beginning you're going to lose, but you do it every year, it becomes something that cumulatively gets better and better and better. You get more people coming down. So I was like, I'm okay with losing that. I saved. It was like a house deposit for. This is before I had a property. So house ten percent of a Tesla, something like that. Hold on, yeah. was it about that? Yeah, roughly that. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, ten percent of a Tesla. Actually, no. <laughs> I haven't got. I've got the cheap one. I haven't got the, the big okay. one. Yeah, I'm so. looking at the the one that yours is ten percent of. I'm wondering if that's a bit of a stretch. It's, okay, I wouldn't buy it up front. I would like to say. Oh, I'd never. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever do. But um, I get to do it another year. Like I do the next year, and I've lost. And the next year, it's another. It's, it's more that I've lost. It's getting worse. But this is all on me now. Mm -hmm. And that was 30 years old and 31 years old. Now at this point, I'm in a hole. And I'm, and I'm still having to try and keep up so I can go out and perform and be funny. And, and to some degree, there is an image when it comes to entertainment that you have to upkeep where you're not, not necessarily that you look the best or you're doing amazing, but you're not you're not down. You can't go on stage and and you're being able to banter with the audience and someone heckles you and you can kind of shut them down, but you look or seem like you're already a broken person, if that makes sense. You, yeah, have you to can't hide behind the photocopier for the day. That's not exactly. in our world. Yeah. And I had to try and do that whilst also trying to clear these debts whilst not having the money to do so. So I'm working and taking every gig that I can so I can clear so you're trying to clear them through guests. performing at that point? Performing, um, also uh, voiceover work. I do a lot of. Such a good they, voice. Anyone listening to this will be thank like, you. of course you do voiceover work. <laughs> thank you. Um, but doing voiceover work and, and then getting into radio as well. And But I'm overworking and I'm killing myself trying to not only keep up with the life that I'm supposed to already have with not flash but just being able to get up go here take a train there perform here come back um at least have an iron t-shirt on whereas on the other side i'm hemorrhaging money just to clear debts and i'm not keeping up and there it's getting worse and worse um 
to answer the question based on the experiences I've had, I'm not, finances and money should not be the first thing you focus on when it comes to the things you choose to do. However, if you don't have those things in check, it makes it harder for you to move forward and and to and to start building upon anything new if you have the debts of old still holding you back and you don't have a handle of them. Even up until now, I'm still clearing those debts, not because I've not paid them, but because there's so much of them that accumulated from me at the time breaking and crashing in a year of like, of really mentally just being broken, exhausted and, and struggling and so on. And then they accumulate even further then. It, it took me to have to get my mental health in check. It took for me to have the right support system around me. And then now it's taken me to get to a point where I have to go, you know what, this is what I have to now pay off and deal with. It's, I know the way of having all of those responsibilities because the moment you say, I mean, look at, you said you could drive easily from here to Amsterdam. The moment you say I'm tired and I want to stop, oh, sorry, one second, my phone's all vibrating. There we go. The moment you say um, you're, you're tired and you want to stop and have a break, like people who have nine, five jobs, they could, they get holiday pay. We don't. Mm -hmm. If I stop and have a break, that's a week of me stopping, not being able to make money to pay off debts. And also not being able to make money to pay off just literally bills of what I have for everyday life bills. I'm on top of everything now and in a very good place now, but I've seen what it is, is, it is to have all of that weigh you down because it can stop you from even considering like moving forward and building. So, uh, and there's no right answer to how you, how you clear stuff. It, it, it's different for everybody, but I, I know what it's like to, to lose a lot and then have to, to, try and still be the person who, who's doing enough that people go, yeah, we still want to follow this guy and we still want to come out and see him. It's, it's it, it can be such a difficult thing. Yeah, you've got to look like you're put together even when you're falling apart. Because exactly. if you don't, much as I think we're getting better as a society, at least understanding the theory that vulnerability is very courageous and that yeah. people who are willing to talk about their struggles, that's something to be applauded. That's We've got the theory the reality mm. is, I don't think a lot of people still view those things well. And that will take, it's like turning a tanker, right? We've got decades of it being seen as a weakness to admit yeah. that you're not coping well and that things have got too much. And it takes a long time for, there are still many people who I don't think do view that kindly. And it's it's a big struggle because actually until kind of leaders and people in the public eye all admit to this stuff, it's going to be harder and harder for people to admit it. But do you, um, because my, I always sort of, I try to work at what to say to my kids about money because they've certainly yeah. grown up. My parents were teachers and we grew up with not loads of sort of spare cash. We had a brilliant upbringing, but it wasn't yeah. a sort of lavish one. My kids, we've had more, more comfortable upbringing in, in my family financially with my own kids, mm. but we always lived a kind of fairly straightforward life. We didn't have flash things. And I always said to my kids, you know, money, money is never going to make you happy, but yeah. not having enough money is going to make you unhappy. Definitely. And that's the threshold I think is, is if you're worrying about money, which so many people are at the moment, and most mm. people are, in fact, it's, it, it's very hard to function until you know you can survive at that most basic level. And I, there's also a, there's also the pressure for your your kids in terms of the generation they're in now. You can go on social media and see everybody flash how much money they have or they're spending a week in Dubai or look at this 
Birkin bag I'm walking around with. And it's the pressure of feeling like that threshold of having enough money still isn't enough. Your bills and it's are paid. hard to get enough money as well. Like when you look yeah. at them, my, my kids are so different, as you know. You know, my son's a, a, a zookeeper. And actually, I think his neurodivergence has been a blessing in one way in that mm. he just it doesn't fit in with the mainstream he doesn't try to and of he course, plows yeah. his own furrow so he's not looking at influencers or whatever and going oh I really want to be like that but I think my daughter who is neurotypical probably has it harder in that way and that she's, yeah. she's 22 year old part of the gen z generation she's working really hard in a really good job living in madrid but yeah. for her to get the things she wants is going to be really hard for her. This and, is it, yeah. You know, that they've, you know, I think both my kids look and think, how am I going to ever like own property or have the things I want? Because no matter what they do, it's incredible. Unless you get a lump sum from somewhere, it's yeah. really hard to do that. And I do, you know, my sons. I was seeing in the press about those um people who have metered, you know, metered electricity and yeah. how the rebates aren't working for them. And that's my son's one of those people. He desperately oh, needs man. the money, and they're not getting the rebates because it's going to the landlord, and the landlord's mm. not passing it on. So uh, you look at. So I'm very with my own children. I'm very close to how hard this is, and I'm also very much checking my privileges to yeah, how yeah. different it is for me. And also the world we work in. We work with a lot of young people, many of whom have only ever done comedy. Or and make their living out of just performing comedy, and it's yeah. very hard. The business model of performing comedy is oh, almost not a viable business model. It's not enough. Well, it's it isn't enough. Not, yeah, it's, it's definitely not enough. Not enough. So tell me, um, what would you pick, Uri, as your Namaste motherfucking life changing moment? It would be oh gosh, if it. From a positive or a negative perspective, which one? Ideally positive. Okay. But if it's negative that led to positive, I would say don't overthink it. Just let it it come. I have two. One that was positive that I wouldn't say led to negative, but led back to being neutral. And then one that was neutral. I mean, negative that led to positive. We touched on the negative to positive one, which is the weekender. The break and uh, the financial break that it caused me and then having to rejig my my mind and look at what's really important and it it, as a guy sometimes you're told that your value comes from like your stature and power in business or in in the field that you're in and how much money that you have because you're told that as a guy that's what's important that's the that's the thing if you can look like you're doing well and look financially stable and so on you become more attractive because especially if you're if you're into women and they go and they look at you and go I need someone to provide and protect that's the old archaic kind of way of thinking um but I mean it's still embedded in me and in a lot of people around me because it's been generationally just put into me once I realized that means nothing over you being happy and it took me years after that break to realize that um that's when I like once I realized that I realized as much as I as much as everybody would like to walk around with millions in their bank, it's not important if you aren't happy. I'd rather have enough to pay my bills and be happy, genuinely happy, than be super rich and still be broken in the way of thinking that I'm only having to do this because it validates me as a man. So that's, there's a, yeah, that sort of gender idea, I guess, from, yeah. yeah. And it's deep rooted, right? Mm, it's, it's still, it's, it's deep rooted. It's definitely from parents and their parents. And I mean, it's something that we've all been taught 
generationally. It's just this, but we see it in television still all the time. We see it on on social media. We see the idea of a provider and somebody who looks after the home. And even though those ideologies can be quite appealing, even to me from some degree, it's not something that I stick to to say, this is what makes you a man and this is what makes you a woman. And, and so, and it's literally, who are you and what makes you happy? And once you figure that out, you find your lane and go, I could be happy being someone who raises my children at home. If, if my wife was making loads of money and said, I want to be able to do that, that people can have that. It may not be who I am now. I don't know what I'm going to be like in five years time, but all I know is happiness is not depicted by the value of what's in your account and depression or, or sadness should, should also not be depicted by that either. That was that one. And the other one, which was good, but then to neutral was, um, I, I have a benchmark in my career, which sometimes I hate the fact that it's the benchmark that people still remember me by. And it was eight years ago when I did the, the, the dance, the UK garage comedy sketch that went viral with BBC mm-hmm. and then it went viral around the world. And we'll it's put just, a link to that for anyone who's not seen it. Yeah. If you, if you haven't and you don't want to, I'll be more than happy, but watch it if you do. Yeah. I'm one of those people that people to this day, every day come up to me. Oh my God, Ori, what's going on? Yeah. I love your sketch from yeah. eight years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm thankful. But it's good I'm to more... be something they love you for. Imagine if it's something they thought you were shit for and it still follows you around. Like, shit, not, and like people remind shit. me that. People yeah. people remind me that. it could You're remembered been, it, for something they love. For something they love. There's a part of me that the pride kicks in going, but I've done so much more now. Do you not love the new stuff that I've done? And they, a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, it's great. But you're, my favorite thing for you yeah. is that thing from eight years ago. And I slack a mark in my career where I almost categorize elements of my career and, and even just my life as was it pre sniper pose or post sniper pose. Yeah. And I can't, and that's why I say it was a positive benchmark, but I found my namaste balancing it by going, I, it's not the sum of who I am, but I can look at it more positively and go, you could have had worse about you that people could have said and done because you could have done something really bad. It could have gone viral and all of a sudden you're known for being that person that did that thing once, but actually this is a positive thing and people still bring it up. You should be happy about that rather than thinking, well, what more could you, what more have you seen of me? Like, what, like, why is that the only thing you know? I think it puts you into real celebrity land as well because the number of A-listers I've worked with over the years when I was on the other side of the camera and they're Mm. known for the thing they're known for and they are so much more than that. Yes. they, that'll be the thing and they keep doing amazing things and artistically they develop and they're they're yeah. much more nuanced and they're really clever and they're taking risks artistically and everyone's like yeah but i love the movie where you run around with the gun and this you know, is it the yeah. in the bikini and like, like the oh, one Christ. hit wonder it's almost like they see you as the one hit wonder even though you've produced yeah you're like so i've got many hits but and make yeah. you keep having many more i've got a question for you that i've wanted to know for but i said i'm going to ask you what i think at one of the shows that we've done, but when you said you wanted me on the podcast, I've got to wait until the podcast. You probably get asked this a lot of times, right? I'm a South Park fan. So when someone told me you were responsible, uh, or whether I, I don't know if it was just you or if you were one of the people responsible for it being um, available in the United Kingdom, because mm-hmm. you'd seen it obviously for working yeah. was it with, with Paramount. Well, it's, it's, it's very much the same as your Namaste Month. Oh. No one has asked me this on the podcast before. Okay. So I'm responsible for bringing it to the world. Yes. yes. But it's a story of two parts because okay. I worked for MTV back in the early 90s. Okay. 
And that's when South Park was first starting. And mm-hmm. at the time, MTV wasn't part of the same family as Comedy Central. It became part of it. Viacom bought them both. But at the okay. time, we knew those guys and we used to like be on a stand with them in Cannes when we were selling shows and stuff, but they weren't part of our same group. And when I was heading up the program sales mm-hmm. around Europe, we were asked, did we want to agent this new animation? Because MTV at the time was the only company doing adult animation, like Beavis and Butthead and all that stuff. So yeah. we were the obvious place because we were already selling stuff like that. And they were like, are you interested in this new show? It's called South Park. It's from these two guys called Matt and Trey. Yeah. Had a look at it. I was like, nah, I don't think, no, I don't think that's going to do anything. <laughs> so I turned it down, went off and had a baby. Uh, not because I turned it down, just because I got pregnant. Uh, and then I was like, I better go have a baby. Then I came back and then spent the next year trying to get the rights back. Then we got the rights back. And then, yeah, I joke that this is the house that South Park and SpongeBob built because I then also was was working on the rollout of SpongeBob, among lots of other wait, things. Wait, so, wait, SpongeBob as well? Yes, yeah, SpongeBob as well. <laughs> if I was near my, I got a board here, right? With sound effects on it, and it's got an applause on there. If I was near the boards over there, because you know I'm rejigging the studio. If I was near the board, I'd be pressing that right now. Wait, wait, wait. I will Gally, say, Gally. by the way, Ori, in the keeping of not being a dick, I wasn't solo. I was running a team. Like it was not just me. There were so many people involved. So I, I was. I understand, yeah. but come on, Callie. It wasn't you, literally me doing every deal. No, I understand that, but come on, you you were integral in the part of bringing over, like to, to bring in South Park to the world and SpongeBob, and SpongeBob Square. To the so world. when you hear. And a lot of sh- and X on the beach to the world though, Ori. So swings and roundabouts. Oh well, yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. We'll don't talk about that one. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, it's not. So all wait, good. when you hear who lives in the pineapple under the sea, how much does that grind your gears off? It the, really grinds my every gears every day. Ah! Yeah, it does. <laughs> and I, I still can't help it because I worked. I worked on the program side, but there was also the. You'll understand this because you have licensing and merchandising. Yeah. Obviously, a huge part of the Nickelodeon business and indeed the Comedy Central South Park business is licensing and merchandising and consumer products. And to this day, I've not had that. I only left five years ago, so I was working there at board level until quite recently, and yeah. I still do bits and pieces for them. But I don't have a job for them anymore. Okay. And even now, I'll be like in Turkey on holiday, and I'll see rip off SpongeBob like Lilo. So I feel like <laughs> taking a picture, and I'm like, who do you think you're going to send that to? Like, you don't even work for you don't even work wow. for them anymore. Um, and to be fair, even when I did, I would not have taken pictures and tried to get some poor beach trader out of business. He's just trying to make a buck. I'd yeah, be like, good to- luck to you. I'm sure they can spare the cash that is wild and like i'm so i i played the i play the south park uh games very of course you do why the, wouldn't you Good especially games. the one I, I keep replaying is the fractured butthole yeah right and it, the amount of references in there that you would only get if you watch the program is is crazy and it just shows i mean we're talking about years of of the of the program which is a testament to just how successful that show has been. Yet it has caused some controversy. Oh, it definitely like, has. Like the like the Wheel of Fortune uh, Naggers yes. episode. Yep. They definitely say, or to say they said close to the wind ain't close enough. They're oh, they the went wind. well yeah. over that many a time. They did. Yeah. I'll, send you, um, I'll send you a picture after this of me sitting on some South Park hairy balls, Ori, because I know that'll, <laughs> <laughs> that'll put you off the rest of your panini, if nothing Is does. The, bou- so. the big bouncing the ones, big right? The big bouncing ones, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you that. 
<laughs> from a few yeah. years ago. I still look very recognisable, so you'll know it's really me on the on them. No balls. problem. No problem. <laughs> and what's your what's your favourite joke, Ori? My favourite joke that I've got that my that myself or just yeah, in just general. Just your favourite joke in general. Yeah. Do I have a favourite joke? Oh my god! This gosh, is a they... hard one, right? Everyone hates this question. It probably changes every year because, like, you get one which really sweets you, and then after a while, it gets. It's not like music where you can have it for a favorite for a yeah. long time. It 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 loses its impact. It's not then, evergreen like South Park and SpongeBob. There you go. Yes. Exactly. So what? All right. What's my favorite joke currently? Um, one of my favorite comedians, and and I don't have favorites. Is in like loads. That I go. This is who is my favorite. But I do have a group of people that I I love watching or working with. Um, one of my favorites is Kane Brown. And um, big shout out to Kane. He does not get the shine he deserves. Completely he, agree. He is one of the funniest, one of the most like impactful, hilarious, like on like biggest stage presence comedians out there. He's he's tall, handsome guy. So loads of ladies like coming out to see him because he's in great shape and stuff. And then he's just loud and aggressive with the mic, and everyone loves to watch him but he does not get the credit he deserves. I, I tell him this so often and we talk quite often as well. Doesn't get the credit he deserves. He's one of the best comedians breathing and it's, it's criminal that it doesn't, he doesn't. His, he's got a current joke that he said, <laughs> that he says right now um, from a lot of the shows that we've been doing and he's put it up on his socials as well. Because uh, someone recorded it, and rather than it going around without his permission, he's gone. You know what? I'm just going to put it up on socials because people are kidding our the industry by recording and not it not being vetted by ourselves. It's him talking about. Um, it's him talking about uh, the Caribbean community and how we don't get a chance to not get, don't get a chance. We have been passed economically by. Um, everybody else who's come here. We've been here since the Windrush generation. And he talks about like many other communities, like the Asian community have come here after us and passed us economically. And then he, talk <laughs> then he talks about how the reason why is the unity within the Asian community is amazing. You could have loads of takeaways and restaurants or shops all on one road and they're all doing really, really well. Then he says, but then when you try to find a Caribbean shop, we're always um, juke up somewhere on our own on double yellow lines, right? <laughs> and then he says, you can't even park to go get your food. You have to run out your car, run in there and say, hey, I, hurry up, I ain't got time. Just put the oxtail in my hand, man. Hurry up before I get a ticket. When It's how it's how he delivers it. So perfect. And because of his his how he attacks a joke, it's it's just amazing. We'll put a link to his stuff and it's also a really nice way to spread the word because he's one of many. I think there are so many people who are so incredibly talented and just aren't yeah. known. And then occasionally those people sort of break into telly and everyone's like, oh my God, they're a new face. You're like, no, they've been brilliant for that, years. This is what I'm saying. You've happens. only just started to see them on the mainstream. They, and they some say, people don't want to be on the mainstream either in fair play. They say it takes like... 10 years to have a lucky break of it is, I was or? told seven and I started seven when years. I was 45 and okay. I remember saying to the person who told me well I'm fucked then because that means I'll be 52 when anything starts well I'm now 53 I'm like when do these <laughs> when does this well, happen? hold on hold on were you <laughs> how old are you when you did live 
seek therapy and if you don't feel like you need to do it anyway because therapy is not about um fixing yourself it's about maintaining wherever you are at i say this on stage i'm going to say it on the podcast if you buy a car you you get it serviced regularly right because you want it to keep running as smooth as it did when you first bought it when you when you know you take it to get mot you make sure you change the tires up so it runs as good as it did when you first bought it when you go to the gym you're trying to maintain your physical health because you want to make sure that when you get older you've given yourself a fair chance of having a greater quality of life because you've invested in yourself from younger we do it with our material things we do it with our physical self do it with your mental health if you can go and speak to somebody at regular intervals whether things are bad or whether things are good but you can still have somebody that you can speak to even if it's someone that you are close to and it's not necessarily a therapist but someone that is your go-to person to offload and really have a good insightful conversation to do with your mental health please go and do that because it's we try to maintain things when it comes to material stuff do it with your mental health so when you're older you can sit down and say look i gave myself a fair chance of making sure that i've checked any of my traumas my schemas anything that might have made me depressed anything that might be stealing from my happiness so when you get older your your younger self can, your older self can thank your younger self for investing in you from uh, an earlier age rather than trying to chase it down when you're older and probably more cantankerous and stubborn if when, whatever age you're at now please seek help even if you don't feel like you need it because there are things about you that you may not know that need unraveling and unpacking and just so you can find a better balance of what it means to truly be happy and not just fo- um, feign happiness when it comes to what you put out to other people it's about trying to be happy within yourself and not just what you can fake happiness to be. Namaste, that was Ori Styler. We've put links to all his good stuff in the show notes, as we always do. So do please check him out. He's very much worth having a watch and or a listen to. And that is it for this week. It's so good to be back. Thank you so much for listening. We've got some amazing guests and indeed things lined up for 2023. But we are, of course, nothing without you. So please do remember to rate, review and recommend us so more and more people find the podcast. We will be back in your feed next Thursday, as always, when I'll be talking to recently voted 2022's Comedian's Comedian, i.e. the person that all of us think is the best comedian. What an accolade. It's the one, the only Mr. Mark Simmons. So I've got Crohn's disease and I've got a joke about Crohn's disease in my show. And quite often people come up to and go, have you really got it? Namaste Motherfuckers was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and produced by Mike Hansen and Karusha Dami for Pod People Productions with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers. Mm-hmm.